0: Chapter 9 Arizona's Yesterday by John Cady and Basil Woon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tony Posante. Deputy Sheriff, Cattleman, and Farmer. You kin have your Turner sunsets. He never painted one. Like the San Mountains at the setting of the sun. You kin. Have your eastern cornfields with the crops that never change? Me, I've all Arizona, and best of all, the range. Womb. About this time, Sheriff Bob Paul reigned in Tucson and made me one of his deputies. I had numerous adventures in that capacity, but remember only one as being worth recording here. One of the toughest characters in the West at that time, a man feared throughout the territory, was Pat Cannon. He had a score of killings to his credit. Finally, when Paul became sheriff, a warrant was issued for his arrest on charge of murder. After he had the warrant, Paul came to me. Gaty, he said, you know Pat Cannon, don't you? I worked with him once, I answered. Well, returned Paul, here's a warrant for his arrest on a murder charge. Go get him. I obtained a carry-all an Italian boy as driver in Tucson and started for Camp Grant. Arrived there, I was informed that it was believed Cannon was at Smithy's Wood Camp, several miles away. We went on to Smithy's Wood Camp. Sure enough, Pat was there, very much so. He was the first man I spotted as I drove into the camp. Cannon was sitting at the door of his shack, two revolvers belted on him, and his rifle standing up by the door at his side, within easy reach. I knew that Pat didn't know that I was a deputy, so I drove right up. Hello i called how's the chance for a game of poker pretty good he returned amiably smithy'll be in in a few moments john stick around we have a game every night sure i responded and descended as i did so i drew my six-shooter and whirled around aiming the weapon at him point-blank hands up pat you son of a gun i said and i guess i grinned you're my prisoner i had told the italian boy what to do beforehand and he now gave me the steel bracelets which i snapped on ken whose face bore an expression seemingly a mixture of intense astonishment and disgust finally when i had him safely in the carry-all he spat out a huge chew of tobacco and swore he said nothing to me for a while and then he remarked in an injured way well johnny i sure would never have thought it of you he said nothing more except to ask me to twist him a cigarette or two, and when we reached Tucson, I turned him over safely to Sheriff Paul. You who read this in your stuffy city room or crowded subway seat, imagine, if you can, the following scene. Above the perfect, all-embracing blue of the Arizona sky, set flaming in the middle of it, the sun, a glorious blazing orb whose beauty one may dare to gaze upon only through smoke glasses. Beneath the range which, far from being a desert, is covered with a growth of grass, which grows thicker and greener as the river's banks are reached. All around, Arizona, the painted hills, looking as though somebody had carefully swept them early in the morning with a broom, the valleys studded with ski trees and greasewoods, and dotted here and there with brown specks, which even the uninitiated will know are cattle, and the river, one of Arizona's minor streams a few yards across and only a couple of feet deep, but swift rushing, pebble strewn and clear as crystal, last but not least a heterogeneous mob of cowboys and vaqueros with their horses champing at the bit and eager to be off on their work in the foreground a rough unpainted corral where are more ponies wicked-looking intelligent little beggars but quick turning as though they owned but two legs instead of four and hence priceless for the work of the roundup in the distance some of them quietly and impudently grazing quite close at hand are the cattle the object of the day's gathering Cowboys from perhaps a dozen or more ranches are gathered here, for this is the commencement of the rodeo, the roundup of cattle that takes place semi-annually. Even ranches whose cattle are not grazed on this particular range have representatives here, for often there are strays with brands that show them to have traveled many scores of miles. The business of the cowboys is to round up and crowd the cattle and pick out their own brands from the herd. They then see the unbranded cows belonging to the cows of their brand are properly marked with the hot iron and with the ear slit check up the number of yearlings for the benefit of their employers and take charge of such cattle it is considered advisable to drive back to the home ranch so much sentimental nonsense has been talked of the cruelty of branding and slitting calves that it is worth while here perhaps to state positively that the branding irons do not penetrate the skin and serve simply to burn the roots of the hair so that the bald marks will show to which ranch the calf belongs there is little pain to the calf attached to the operation and one rarely if ever, even sees a calf licking its brand after it has been applied. And, as is well known the cows, remedy for an injury, like that of a dog, is always to lick it. As to the ear slitting, used by most ranches as a check on their brands, it may be said that if the human ear is somewhat callous to pain, as it is, the cow's ear is even more so. One may slice a cow's ear in half in a certain way, and she will feel only slight pain, not sufficient to make her give voice. The sitting of a cow's ear draws very little blood. While I am on the subject, it was amusing to note the unbounded astonishment of the cattlemen of Arizona a few years ago when some altruistic society of Boston came forward with a brilliant idea that was to abolish the cruelty of branding cows entirely. What was the idea? Oh, they were going to hang a collar around the cow's neck with a brass tag on it to tell the name of the owner. Or, if that wasn't feasible... They thought that a simple ring and tag put through the cow's earlobe would prove eminently satisfactory. The feelings of the cowboys, when told that they would be required to dismount from their horses, walk up to each cow in turn, and politely examine her tag, perhaps with the aid of spectacles, may be better imagined than described. It is sufficient to say that the New England Society's idea never got further than Massachusetts, if it was indeed used there, which is doubtful the brand is absolutely necessary as long as there is an open range and the abolishment of the open range will mean the abandonment of the cow ranch at the time i am speaking of the whole of the territory of arizona was one vast open range over the grassy portions of which cattle belonging to hundreds of different ranches roamed at will most of the big ranches employed a few cowboys the year round to keep the fences in repair and prevent cows from straying too far from the home range the home range was generally anywhere within twenty mile radius of the ranch house the ear-slit was first found necessary because of the activities of the wrestlers. There were two kinds of these gentry, the kind that owned the ranches and passed themselves off as honest ranchers, and the open outlaws, who drove off cattle by first stampeding them in the Indian manner, rushed them across the international line, and then sold them to none too scrupulous Mexican ranchers. Of the two it is difficult to say which was the most dangerous or the most reviled by the honest cattlemen. The ranches, within 20 or 30 miles of the border, perhaps, suffered more from the Stampeders than from the small ranchers, but those on the northern ranges had constantly to cope with the activities of dishonest cattlemen who owned considerably more calves than they had cows, as a rule. The difficulty was to prove that these calves had been stolen. It was no difficult thing to steal cattle, successfully providing the rustler exercised ordinary caution. The method most in favor among the rustlers was as follows. For some weeks, the rustler would ride the range, noting where cows with unbranded calves were grazing. Then, when he had ascertained that no cowboys from neighboring ranches were riding that way, he would drive these cows and their calves into one of the secluded and natural corrals from which the range abounds, rope the calves, brand them with his own brand, hobble and sometimes kill the mother cows to prevent them from following their offspring, and drive the latter to his home corral, where in the course of a few weeks they would forget their mothers and be successfully weaned. They would then be turned out to graze on the range. Sometimes, when the rustler did not kill the mother cow, the calf proved not to have been successfully weaned and went back to its mother, the worst possible advertisement of the rustler's dirty work. Generally, therefore, the mother cow was killed, and little trace left of the crime, for the coyotes' speedily clean flesh branded off from the bones of the slain animal. The motto of most of these rustlers was, The dead cow tells no tales another method of the rustlers was to adopt a brand much like that of a big ranch nearby and to overbrand the cattle for instance a big ranch with thousands of cattle owns the brand cross bar an x rustler adopts the brand cross L, XL, and by the addition of a vertical mark to the bar and the first brand completely changes the brand it was always a puzzle for the ranchers to find brands that would not be easily changed Rustlers engaged in this work invariably took grave chances for a good puncher could tell a change brand in an instant, and often knew every cow belonging to his ranch by sight without looking at the brand. When one of these expert cowboys found a suspicious brand, he lost no time hunting up proof, and if he found that there had actually been dirty work, the rustler responsible, if wise, would skip the country without leaving a note of his destination, for in the days of which I speak, the penalty for cow stealing was almost always death, except when the sheriff happened to be on the spot since the sheriff was invariably heart and soul a cattleman himself he generally took care that he wasn't anywhere in the neighborhood when a cattle thief met his just deserts. even now this rule holds effect in cattle lands only two years ago a prominent rancher in this country the Sonora range shot and killed a mexican with whom a partner had been caught red-handed in the act of stealing cattle with the gradual disappearance of the open range cattle stealing has practically stopped although one still hears at times of cases of the kind isolated but bearing traces of the same old methods stampeding is of course now done away with during the years i worked for d a sanford i had more or less trouble all the time with cattle thieves but succeeded fairly well in either detecting the guilty ones or in getting back the stolen cattle i meted out swift and sure justice to rustlers and before long it became rumored around that it was wise to let cattle with the d s brand alone the sanford brand was changed three times the Diaz brand I sold to the Vale interest for Sanford, and the Sanford brand was changed to the Dipper, which afterwards, following the closing out of the Sanford stock, was again altered to the 97 brand. Kettle with the 97 brand on them still roamed a range about the Senoida. It was to a rodeo similar to the one which I have attempted to describe, that Jesus Malbot and I departed following an incident of the selling of the sheep. We were gone a week when we returned i put up my horse and was seeing that he had some feed when a shout from jesus whom i had sent to find a chinese gardener to tell him we need something to eat came to my ears oye Senor caddy jesus was crying el chino muerte I hurried down to the field where Mabot stood and found him gazing at the chinaman who was lying face downward near the fence quite dead by the smell and general layout i reckoned he had been dead some three days I told Mabot to stay with him and jumping on my horse rode to Crittenden where I obtained a coroner and jury that would sit on the Chinaman's death. The next morning the jury found that he had been killed by some person or persons unknown and let it go at that. Two weeks later I had occasion to go to Tucson and untying my horse outside the Italian Brothers saloon noticed a man I thought looked familiar sitting on a bench outside. As I came up he pulled his hat over his face so that I could not see it. I went inside, ordered a drink, and looked in the mirror. It gave a perfect reflection of the man outside, and I saw that he was the Mexican Fernando, whom the Chinese gardener had hired when I had engaged Maybot. I had my suspicions right then as to who had killed the Chinaman, but having nothing by which to prove them, I was forced to let the matter drop. Two or three years after this, I hired as vaquero a Mexican named Declecto, who after a year quit work and went for a visit to Nogales eclecto bought his provisions from the chinaman who kept the store i had built on the ranch and so as we were responsible for the debt when bob bloxton son-in-law of sanford came to pay the mexican off he did so in the chinaman's store the next morning eclecto accompanied bloxton to the train and looking back bob saw the mexican and another man ride off in the direction of the ranch after it happened eclecto owned up that he had been in the chinaman's that night drinking but insisted that he had left without any trouble with the yellow Skin storekeeper. But from that day onward, the Chinaman was never seen again. Loxton persuaded me to return to the ranch from the gallus, and we visited the Chinaman's house, where we found the floor dug up, as though somebody had been hunting treasure. My wife found a ten-dollar gold piece hidden in the crack between the adobe bricks, and later my son John unearthed twelve Mexican dollars, beneath some manure in the hen coop. Whether this had belonged to the Chinaman, Louis, who had disappeared, or to another Chinaman who had been staying with him, we could not determine. At any rate, we found no trace of Louis or his body. Even this was not to be the end of the strange series of fatalities to Chinamen on the Sanford ranch. In eighteen ninety seven, I quit the Sanford foremanship after working for my employer seventeen years, and turned the ranch over to Amos Bloxton, another son-in-law of Sanford. I rented agricultural land from Sanford and fell to farming. Near my place, Crazy John, the Chinaman, had his gardens, where he made doby bricks, besides growing produce. We were living then in the old store building, and the Chinaman was making bricks about a quarter-mile away with a Mexican whom he employed. One day we found him dead, and the Mexican gone. After that, as was natural, we could never persuade a Chinaman to live anywhere near the place. I later built a house of the bricks the Chinaman was making when he met his death. The Mexican escaped to Sonora, came back when he thought the affair had blown over, and went to work for the railroad at Sonora. There he had a fracas with the section foreman, stabbed him, and made off into the hills. Sheriff Wakefield from Tucson came down to get the man and shot him dead near greaterville, which ended the incident. In the preceding, I mentioned the railroad. This was the Benson Hermosillo Road, built by the Santa Fe and later sold to the southern Pacific, which extended the line of San Blas and Cochilla, which is now in the process of extending it further to the Sea of Tepic i was one of those who helped survey the original line from benson and nogales i think the date was eighteen eighty three in future times i have ventured to state that this road will be one of the best paying properties of the southern pacific company which has had the courage and foresight to open up the immensely rich empire of western mexico the west coast of mexico is yet in the baby stage of its development the revolutions have hindered progress there considerably but when peace comes at last and those now shouldering arms for this and that faction in the republic return to the peaceful vocations they owned before the war began there is no doubt that the world will stand astonished at the riches of this at present undeveloped country there are portions of the west coast that have never been surveyed that are inhabited to this day with peaceful indians who have seldom seen a white face the country is scattered with the ruins of wonderful temples and cathedrals and doubtless much of the old Aztec treasure still lies buried for some enterprising fortune-seekers to unearth. There are also immense forests of cedar and mahogany and other hard woods to be cut, and extensive areas of land suitable for sugar-planting and other farming to be brought under cultivation. When all this is opened up, the west coast cannot help taking its place as a wonderfully rich and productive region. End of chapter 9